Welcome to Strong Runner Chick Radio, a leading online community where our goal is to educate, empower, and connect female distance runners across the world. We believe in healthy running, fueling, and embracing our strength as female distance runners inside and out. Through interviews with top professional, collegiate, and master's level runners, leading dietitians, coaches, sports psychologists, and runners of all shapes and sizes, we hope to spread the message that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to distance running. Now, let's get to the show. Hey, Strong Runner Chicks, it's Megan on. I wanted to hop on and tell you guys about our first ever virtual retreat. It's this May 23rd through 24th. Registration is now open, and to do so, you just need to send us a quick email, strongrunnerchicks at gmail.com. You can also just send us a direct message with your email, and we'll send you an invite with more information. Uh, that said, It is going to be a great time, amazing weekend, hosted virtually. Um, So we are bringing this to you at a lower cost. And then in addition, we're going to be donating some of the proceeds to COVID relief efforts. Um, That said, we also have some great speakers on board. We've got Megan Medrano speaking on nutrition, Jacqueline Alness, Grayson Murphy, and Lucy Bartholomew will be joining us for happy hour sessions. And we're just so excited. Excited. We can't wait to launch this. It's going to be a great time. Um, even with having all of these podcast guests uh, virtually, we've really formed some strong connections. And we know that doing this Zoom uh, retreat weekend will be just the same. So we hope all of you will consider joining us. We have just a few more spots remaining. Um, like I said, if you are at all interested, just reach out to us and we can work with you to, to make it happen. So um, that said, enjoy the show. We loved having Emma Zimmerman on and we actually can't wait to meet Emma in person, hopefully next year for our 2021 June retreat. So um, thanks and enjoy the show. Hello, Strong Runner Chicks. Welcome to another episode of SRC Radio. So as you heard, we have Emma Zimmerman back with us. Welcome, Emma. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Kelsey. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here with you. Um, Set the scene for me. Where are you right now? What are you up to? What's going on? I am in Chicago. Um, I am, yeah, I mean, right now, I'm not sure when you're gonna release this but um right now we're in peak well I don't know if peak but we're in coronavirus time um kind of hiding out I'm actually at my parents house in Chicago right now um Mm -hmm. and I've been yeah mostly freelance writing doing a number of things um in this time period but I think right now we're all kind of in a limbo yeah, um, we'll probably release, I'm thinking this episode in like a few weeks, so folks will have like maybe this part of the corona scare behind them, and we'll be maybe entering a new phase of it, who knows, at that point in time, to be honest, um, but like, sure I hope so, yeah, yeah, I know, um, so we had Emma, for those of you who don't know, we had Emma back on the radio, um, SRC radio, um, for episode 53, which is almost like half of the amount of episodes that we've recorded now. I think we're coming up on a hundred in a few weeks, which is crazy. I know. Isn't that insane? So your episode was released on October 8th of 2018. So it has been two years since we've chatted. I mean, we've chatted before then for behind the scenes, I'll say. Um, but so since that time, what has happened in the life of Emma Zimmerman? Uh, yeah, it's crazy that it's been almost two years. That's, I feel like so much has happened. Um, it's been a whirlwind, um, I think, for both of us. But for me, um, so I think when we talked, I was in Portland Um, so at the time I was doing, I had graduated from college recently, um, and I was doing a traveling research and writing project. I was traveling around the West coast, Mm -hmm. collecting stories from women in agriculture. Um, and that I know exact plan for how long I want that to last. Um, I was hoping a year Mm -hmm. was not quite as planned. Um, so I did it for four months. Um, And then I ended up getting a job in Boston that I was really excited about. So I left um, the West Coast and moved out to Boston as a short-term journalism position for nine months. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And towards the end of my time in Boston, I guess in last summer, um, I started to, I think, come to terms with the fact that I wasn't in a great place mental health wise um, and kind of come to the terms of the fact that I had struggled with an eating disorder for many years um, and something that it was something that really ebbed and flowed and I think it was easy to tell myself that I was fine then and I started to realize that it was still kind of lingering under the surface and I never saw adequate treatment so I actually decided I didn't want it to be such a powerful force for the rest of my life and I um I'm so lucky to have really supportive parents so I was able to move back in with my parents um in Chicago and focus on my mental health and do outpatient treatment for a couple months and I'm still there still not in treatment but still in Chicago um freelance writing and doing a number of things but actually moving back east um in the fall so it's been a whirlwind to say the least yeah it sounds like it and thanks for sharing a little bit and I know in our conversation we're going to dive a little bit deeper but I really want to highlight the fact that sometimes when we think like having an eating disorder is just like this one-term thing and it doesn't continue on the rest of the life our lives or it just like kind of it doesn't you know people think that once you go into treatment once or once you have it once you don't ever have it again or you know, with sure. circum, uh, definite, uh, excuse me, definitely with cir- life circumstances, um, things will change. So I can imagine that people who are going through the coronavirus scare right now are probably like really um, using uh, behaviors that they didn't before because they just need to cope with things, right? So I think sure. you need to account like different par- parts in our life where, you know, the eating disorder may come back in. Um, so I appreciate you mentioning that and highlighting the fact that it never just kind of was something that just stopped. It just continued on until you were like, okay, wait, I really need to take an active stand in this and recognize that, you know, I need to move on from it. So um, also you have awesome parents, it sounds like, to be able to be like, yeah, come on home, you know, like help, like we're here for you. Um, That support is so essential as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that I'm so lucky and I realize that not everyone has that privilege of coming from such a supportive family and um, yeah, I've just been really blessed to have that for sure. They really didn't make me feel like I was at all like a parasite on them or anything. I was very much welcome to to come back and take as much time as I needed. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you did. And I'm glad that you are doing a bit of freelance writing. So tell me a little bit about that. Are you writing anything exciting or kind of anything that's perking your interest even lately? Yeah, I've been... um Oh, a number of things. So I've always been like very environmental focused, like sustainable mm-hmm. agriculture um, mm-hmm. is a big interest of mine and just like environmental justice in general. So mm-hmm. um, I'm currently working on an article for a magazine that's focused on sustainable farming. So I just, you know, pitch different places. And then I really, I just, I'm also really um, passionate about women in sport and specifically distance running. So mm-hmm. that is something that I do a lot on my own um it's less work it's something that I just really enjoy writing about um whether I'm paid for it or not and um that's something that I've definitely dived into a lot this year I think that there's a lot that's been going on with women in sport specifically distance running and with my own experience um as an athlete dealing with um some mental health struggles Mm -hmm. it's just a topic that I also really enjoy I wouldn't say that I enjoy exploring it through writing but something that is helpful I think and interesting to explore through writing yeah it's funny you mentioned that um because I'm currently writing a paper for my program about the impact of reflection journaling um on student athletes and how writing is so beneficial for people just to learn about their experiences and how we can implement that in student athlete development programs I mean I could go on and on but yeah to echo what you said I think this this idea of writing is so therapeutic. And I know in one of the pieces actually you wrote for lane nine, which was, you know, incredibly groundbreaking and really vulnerable. Um, and it was titled the epidemic in woman's distance, um, in a woman's distance runner and what it did to me, excuse me, I think it was a woman's distance running and what it did to me. Um, so what was your desire to share your story and perspectives on this issue, considering it means so much to you and it hits like kind of home? Yeah, thank you so much for your words and um, on my piece and for reading it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, yeah, I'm trying to think back, I guess, on when I started to write the piece. I had just finished treatment um, in the fall and I, so, so the Mary Kane story hadn't broken yet. And I'm uh, assuming your listeners are probably familiar with that, but um, if not, Mary Kane was a, a distance runner who, amazing op-ed that you should go watch in the, an op-doc in the New York Times about her uh, struggles. I don't think she really uses the term eating disorder, but I think her struggles with mental and physical health um, in distance running. Mm-hmm. And um, I, this story hadn't broken yet, but having gone through treatment, treatment myself, I think I honestly started to become angry. I think that's the best word to describe how I felt because I was really thinking a lot about um, how many women I knew um, through running competitively, competitively from a young age mm-hmm. and how many women I knew competed against had, had been on my teams that had struggled with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, it was really this dirty little secret of women's distance running. Mm-hmm. It's not really talked about mm-hmm. and it's very taboo, even um, within teams. Mm-hmm. When someone gets an eating disorder, it's kind of a uh, isolate that person you know it's we don't this is going to spread like a Mm -hmm. epidemic you know um and then there's a number of professional athletes who started talking about their experiences and I just started to write down my thoughts I guess and started to write this piece Mm -hmm. because I thought that it was really powerful that professional athletes were talking about this but um it's something that exists at all levels of the sport and I wanted that to be talked about more and then the Mary Kane story broke and I, it was extremely wrenching and powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think I was compelled to show just how much disordered eating isn't just a problem at the highest levels of the sport, that it is really a widespread epidemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So there are a few things I'd love to like touch a little bit on. I love the idea. Um, I love, first of all, what you titled um, the the piece, the epidemic, because it is, right? So like, it's one of those things where, you know, people, when you've said you've had, so for listeners who don't know, I also have gone through treatment for an eating disorder. And it was something that I agree with you, Emma, made me very angry when I was going through it to see how it really, you know, changed the lives of distance runners. But not only that, for female athletes in general. Um, so the first thing I kind of want to touch about is like this epidemic. I did a kind of some work with um, some young women in the last few months. I've kind of um, interviewed them about their experiences as a D3 division three, D3 uh, female student athlete. And the one thing all of them spoke about when they had to speak about like what was the hardest part of their um, experience being a female athlete was this perception of eating disorders in this culture around um, like, body image and such like that. And it was so interesting to me. Yeah. All of them said that it was so interesting to me. Um, and I will also say that they were all just like, they were all runners. So maybe it's just the culture around this particular sport in general. I don't know Mm -hmm. how that would be expanding outwards, but I was just shocked at like, and that would, and also it wasn't prompt by me. They were not like, you know, it just was so, so interesting to me. So, um, I think like you said, it's this epidemic where we're afraid to talk about it, right? It kind of like is the coronavirus, like no one wants, it's like the elephant in the room. No one wants to talk about it, right? But once we mm-hmm. do start talking about it, then that's when change is, is brought about. So um, I like that you titled it an epidemic because I think that's a really powerful wo- word to use for this because it's so accurate. Um, and then the second thing you talked about was, you know, how elite athletes are kind of starting to come forward with their own stories, right? And so I kind of wonder, um, and this is, you know, do you think that they're doing this because they have this like platform uh, as opposed to like other folks who don't like in other um, levels who may not have this platform to speak? Do you think that's maybe a reason why they're coming forward more so now that they recognize it? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I want to say that when you keep talking about your grad program and it sounds so interesting, (laughs) I want to learn more about your grad program. We'll chat Um, afterwards for sure. Yeah, we should. Um, But yeah, it's, yeah, there's so many professional athletes coming forward recently. And I think it's because they have the loudest voices. Um, Mm -hmm. They have these platforms. I honestly think social media has played a big role in it. I think Mm -hmm. that they maybe realize that on social media, talking about mental illness 
has become a little less taboo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that they realize the power that they have through their platforms mm-hmm. just by how, you know, their followers on social media and how they can affect so many young women. I think social media is both a good and a bad thing yeah. um, for different reasons, especially for mental health. Mm-hmm. But I really do think it has played a role in these professional athletes coming out um, about their experiences and mm-hmm. just the public nature of our lives yeah. <laughs> in this day and age um, and our kind of a we do have this societal obsession I'm not immune to it with greatness and with fame um, and with people's lives <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think it's great when someone who has a big platform can latch onto that and use it for good. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what a lot of professional athletes have done. And while I think it needs to be shown that, that this isn't just a problem in the professional athlete community, I think I don't want to negate the fact that that is very powerful. I just think we need to expand on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And I love, I think it's funny because we talked about like, as you talked about social media and, and you were like, it is, being in some cases used for good, it also can be really mm-hmm. tricky thing for people who are either going through eating disorders or people who are going through any sort of mental health issues to like this comparison syndrome and like, yeah. oh my gosh, it, it can be so annoying, but it also can be really good to help connect folks into a community. Like I know through Strong Rounder Chicks, a lot of folks read out, reach out to us through that community. So it, it's hard to balance social media. So I appreciate you, you giving a little nod to that. Um, and then I also like, I love what you said too about how we need to increase the conversation at all levels. So we're seeing mm-hmm. these things play out, right? With um, professional athletes or, or even collegiate athletes. Um, and I think we, you know, sitting back, a lot of people will see it and be like, oh, that's great that she did that or that he did that or whatever, but nothing is done to like promote it, right? So we're, we're continuing yeah. seeing it, but it's like this standstill, right? It's like, okay, we're seeing this happen over and over again, which please don't get me wrong, is phenomenal. But like, where do we take this from here? Like, where do we take the conversation next? Like how, how do we, you know, use these runner stories to increase conversations? Do you have any thoughts around that? Yeah, um, I have a lot of thoughts on that and also just a lot of frustration because it's hard. <laughs> it's really yeah. hard to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's necessary to just, I mean, telling your story is, is a powerful thing. If people feel comfortable doing that, I mean, I think that I, I'm an example and a lot of people are an example. Like I, I personally was not a superstar in college. I was the first runner at a very small division three school, um, wouldn't have been very competitive on the national level. And I think just myself and so many other people at so many different levels of the sport um, have powerful stories about how this has affected them. And the more we can shed light on the fact that this is such a widespread problem, I think that's powerful. But Mm -hmm. also, um, I think that the topic of how we can turn conversation into action and just storytelling into action, um, that's something that I grapple with all the time and not just on this topic I think as a writer I'm always thinking about are the words that I write are the stories that I tell powerful enough to make any sort of change you know I can write all I want about climate change but is the current administration going to act on climate because something I wrote you know um no they're not but I think that what writing does do and going back to specifically eating disorders and sport um, is it creates connections around the same ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think connections lead to ideas. Um, when I wrote that article you mentioned earlier for Lane 9, I was connected with so many women who had similar thoughts mm-hmm. um, and were doing work or even just thinking about the epidemic of eating disorders mm-hmm. in female runners and it really opened my eyes to this large community of women who wanted to put words into action. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm going on and on, but I don't have an exact uh, answer for what action looks like, because I think it looks like a lot of different things, but I think creating connections is the best next step, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. And please always know you're allowed to ramble on this podcast. Goodness, <laughs> I do all the time. So, <laughs> well, good. I'm I'm good at rambling. <laughs> Me too, obviously. Um, so I love how you kind of section this up into like steps almost. And the first step is like having, like, being able to share your story. And I think that, like you said, it's really hard to do that. Um, and people need to come to a place in their lives where they're able to share that story. It's not, it doesn't happen right away, like at all. Like I think it takes a really long time to do that because um, especially, you know, stories that are surrounded by mental illness or, you know, any sort of other eating disorders or anything else that is like these taboo subjects, there's a lot of shame with it, right? So there's a lot Mm -hmm. of shame wrapped up with it. And so people avoid sharing their stories. Like there's a lot of like, how could this happen to me? Or like, you know, so these ideas that people won't understand me and such like that. And so I think the first step is recognizing that they're, you're not alone. And by sharing your story, like you said, you create these connections. Um, and I also want, really want to kind of give you a pat on the back because when you, like writers, I think are some of the hardest, writing is some of the hardest job I think people have. Um, and I think the reason for that is because there's this pressure with this, right? So like, am I, are my words quote unquote good enough to, you know, promote change? Are my words good enough so that people understand what I'm saying or can feel connected through it? So I really want to give you a pat on the back, Emma, because you're continuing to, you know, use your words, even though there's this kind of pressure associated with them. Um, And then I love that. I love your kind of, in my mind, I saw it as a flow chart of like, you know, you're writing about your story, which is cathartic, but it also creates connections, which leads to ideas. So I see this like, think of like a flow chart on our screen, you know, (laughs) about that. Um, And I love, I love that idea of, of this leading to ideas, for lack of a better word, because I think ideas are where things shine, right? So that's where things start to change. Um, for sure. So I, I totally agree with that. And I think, I actually, I'm wondering, do you have any ideas? Like any ideas, not maybe how like things should change, but like if you can imagine like a program or maybe like um, a platform or um, mm-hmm. a you know, something along those lines, like off the top of your head, have you thought about that yet? Or like what that might look like? I have thought about it. And I think it's, yeah, and I think I don't have completely fully formed thoughts on it, because it's such a, a large subject. But I think that um, there are many pieces of it. I think wow. that coaching is mm-hmm. a large piece of it. I think that coaches aren't always adequately trained on eating disorders and it's not something that's necessarily talked about. Um, And also just the fact that the athletic trajectory for girls is really different than what it is for boys. And I think that that is something that often plays a hand in eating disorders. I know this is something that um, professional athletes have started to talk a lot about. Um, And yeah, I think that like thinking back on myself, um, I know there's a lot of shame when I hit puberty and couldn't run quite as fast because that happens to girls a lot. And um, if they stick it out the healthy way, they'll bounce back and they'll get faster again. Mm-hmm. But I think instead of speaking very honestly about that different trajectory, a lot of coaches just kind of avoid it. And that creates a lot of confusion for girls and can lead to a very unhealthy relationship with food where you're trying to almost get around puberty by um not by underfueling. um and yeah that's I mean that's one thought is making sure that coaches really have the resources to talk about the biology of this um which I think is a big contributor to eating disorders I also think that educating girls from a young age on balanced mindsets and sports nutrition and all these many things that go into um, eating disorders and why young women develop them in distance running specifically. I'll just quickly, I know that one amazing resource, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Running on Ohm podcast, Julia oh. Hanlon. Oh my Julia God, Oh, I love her podcast. I can't remember when she stopped recording for what was it like two years or whatever. Yeah, my heart literally broke. I was devastated. Anyways, yeah, like oh, I love her podcast. Oh, completely. Yeah, I I agree. So I in high school, I my team would go to like this Nike training camp, and she was the yoga teacher there. 
Um, so when she came out with this, po- when I noticed would listen to her podcast because I followed her on Instagram and I sent her a very nerdy letter once in, <laughs> in college, like, you were great, you're a teacher and I love your podcast. But yeah, um, side note, but um, <laughs> anyway, she did this episode on running on OM with Lauren Fleshman and Dr. Melody Moore. And it was a discussion on changing the culture of eating disorders in distance running. And it talked about um, how the athletic trajectory is very different for girls than it is for boys and how coaches can talk about that. And it talks about focusing on behaviors rather than the appearance when you are worried that someone might be struggling with an eating disorder. And I just think that that was one of the best resources um, I've ever come across that talked about solutions. So I'm just gonna, yeah, quickly, maybe you can put it in the show notes or, yeah, or something. For sure. yeah. yeah, I absolutely will. And I will also, I, I can't remember exactly when I listened to that podcast episode. <laughs> so good. It was just, I was driving to Cape Cod to see my family and I was in my car and I was listening to it. And I can remember like having tears in my eyes and being like, mm-hmm. wow, this is the first time someone's really talking about a woman's biological needs because all these studies that are done are on men, right? So like hearing two women, two powerful three really powerful women talk about this was just like, so I just thought it was amazing. So thank you for highlighting that. I will also suggest another podcast for listeners and I'll put these in the show co- show notes, mm-hmm. but Rich Roll did a podcast with Lindsay Krause. Um, he also did one with Lauren Fleshman beforehand. So it was like the second edition to it, but he did one with Lindsay Krause and she talked a little bit about this biological difference of woman um, and how women need to kind of hit like a flat line before they get better again when they go through puberty. And like you said, Emma, um, coaching is the one, one of the only professions where you don't have to have like a degree in coaching to coach, right? You don't really have to do it. Now there are master's programs out there that are like, you know, now people are becoming more familiar with them, but you know, you don't need to be trained in being a coach. You just have to have experience and a pretty good resume. Um, and so I think in a lot of ways, coaches are failing our athletes. Like they're not doing enough justice and enough work on their own to be able to understand what their um, athletes are going through. Plus to highlight a different thing, we can also speak a little bit to the fact that a lot of women are actually being coached by men. And so men don't, there's like a gender difference there. So men don't necessarily either feel comfortable talking about women's menstrual cycles or the body changes that they're experiencing, or they just don't give a shit, which excuse my language. Some don't, they just don't care. Mm -hmm. They just want to win or they want to do whatever. So I think I came across a statistic that said only like 40% of women's athletic teams, not just running in general are coached by women. I think the rest are coached by men, if that's correct, if I remember correctly. So it was just like really, it really does tear me apart, you know, how the sporting world is not made for women. And it's um, something I hope that we can change at some point in time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm so happy you brought, I mean, all of that up. I also came across, I think there was a recent article in the New York Times about how there are so many women's uh, teams are coached by men. And apparently that's changed. Apparently before Title IX, there were more women's coaches. And that has to do with um, funding. And yeah. once they had to pay female coaches um, the same amount, there became less female coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and also, yeah, just, I think it's, it's really powerful that we're talking about these issues now. And you mentioned Lindsay Krause and how she was on Ritual Podcast, which I also listened to and thought that was amazing. And she's a great example to me about how words maybe they can be powerful because I think she has written so much about um, women in sport recently. Mm -hmm. She's really, I would say, the movement of journalism on Mm -hmm. women in sport. And um, I think her words have been really powerful. They've really reached across the country. So Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think it kind of connects back to your question on changing conversation to action. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. And I, I think about it too, like, the platforms that are set up for like white men or, you know, like different, it's just, it's, I even think back to like the uh, marathon trials and how those were mm-hmm. common, like the commenter, the uh, comment, comment, how do you say that word? Commenters, not the uh, commentators. Commentators. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it's a horrible job they did with like the woman's race. I just think there's so many different things that like could be attacked, but instead of like attacking it all, like we've said like over and over again in this podcast thus far, like how can we change it? Like what can we do? 
Um, and I think, like you said, it sounds so like it's repeated over and over again, but conversations, starting conversations, making, creating these ideas and just go for it and go for it, go like do it, just going for it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Going for it. Um, yeah. and like really just like making a difference and seeing like what, you know, we can do to make that difference and not just sit back and be like, Oh, I'm so glad, glad she shared that story. But like, what can we actually like change in our, in our, in our own, you know, abilities? Um, so I guess when we think about the younger generation, um, mm-hmm. I would, I wonder what you maybe think like coaches or parents or, you know, communities can start doing at a younger generation to help these young female athletes. For sure. Um, yeah, this is, this question is, um, tricky to me because I think eating disorders are fundamentally hard to understand Mm -hmm. for someone who hasn't had one. And this is something that I've been thinking a lot about, um, I remember thinking I must have been like 13 years old before I developed an eating disorder. Um, I remember hearing about someone I, I knew who had an eating disorder. And I remember saying to a friend of mine, if someone in a developing country heard about eating disorders, they would think they were a sick joke. Mm-hmm. And thinking back on that, it makes me livid. Now that I've had an eating disorder, I know what that experience is. Mm-hmm. But I do think that one of the reasons why this is so hard um, to make change is, you know, all the reasons we've talked about, but also it's fundamentally difficult to understand eating disorders if you have not experienced it. And, um, it's hard to understand how it's a mental illness, not a choice. Mm -hmm. Um, and the fact that sports can lead to the development of an eating disorder, but I think most people with eating disorders are predisposed. It's, um, to mental illness and that leads to it but it's such a multifaceted mm-hmm. issue that's hard to understand um so I think that we have to come at it or any folks interacting with young people have to come at it first of all from a place of understanding mm-hmm. that they might not fully comprehend the experience but it is not a choice mm-hmm. of the person who is struggling um and I think they also have to recognize that it might be hard to work with the person Mm-hmm. who is struggling to get help because a lot of people, a lot of young women, especially struggling with eating disorders, have a hard time asking for help because it's an illness that becomes so ingrained in them. It becomes really hard to separate yourself um, and your personality and your values from the illness. Mm-hmm. So I think that all understanding is a big piece of that. Um, and now you can just arm yourself with, with resources with NIDA, um, mm-hmm. ways that you can help a young person through NIDA's helpline, through um, all these resources and understanding how the athletic trajectory is different for girls and boys. Um, now, there's so many things I could, could rattle off, but I think that coming at it from a place of understanding and understanding how you talk to young women about performance and bodies um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's so funny because, um, you know, listeners before, um, Emma and I, you know, as we were preparing for this podcast, we were like, there are so many things we could talk, talk about. Like we could talk about this for days. So I feel like this podcast, as I've said before, like it needs to be, you know, multifaceted. I feel like this could go on like for months talking about this, this, um, these issues. Um, so I think what you speak about is something that's so true is, you know, meeting you know, young woman where they're at, you know, whether they are going through an eating disorder or, you know, whatever developmental stage they're at, whether they're like a mm-hmm. six-year-old or a 12-year-old, or, you know, like we've talked about, you're they're in recovery or they're pondering recovery. We just have to meet them where they're at. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing I want to echo or, and say is like, we can't assume to know what's going on for them, right? So like, even if someone quote unquote looks healthy, doesn't mean that they are, you know? So, um, talking to parents and coaches, I think about the, the common misconceptions, stereotypes, um, and ideas of eating disorders, um, is a great place to start. But like you said, no one's going to really understand what it's like until you've had one, or if you've had one, you know, I hope no one has one, but like, unless you, you know, have been through that experience yourself. So, um, thanks for sharing that. And I hope that people, 
like we said, can meet them where they're at and kind of understand, you know, what people are, are, you know, trying to work through in addition to other things themselves. Cause it's not, like you said, just one-sided it's eating disorders are multifaceted. Definitely. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really love what you said about not making assumptions um, mm-hmm. on, especially based off of people's appearances. I think we have this idea of what an eating disorder looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and while it might be true that in a lot of cases, young women, especially athletes who have mm-hmm. eating disorders, um, they're often restrictive eating disorders and they often lose weight. Um, that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. And um, someone can be really struggling with restrictive eating um, and any number of eating disorders um, and not look what you would expect to look like an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, eating disorders can change. Someone could be struggling just as much and can look different than they did at a different point in their struggle. Um, I think I heard, I went to Anita Walk, one of the National Eating Disorder Association walks, and one of the speakers was actually a man. I think we don't always associate eating disorders with men, um, which is a whole nother topic. But he said, um, you know, we don't wear our eating disorders. So I think that that's another thing that's necessary for coaches, parents, anyone else dealing with um, young people who might be struggling to keep in mind. Yeah, that's great. And I I love that quote by that man. I, I think that's really powerful. Yeah, we don't wear our eating disorders. It's not something that, you know, people want to focus on the rest of their entire life when they've gone through it, but it's a, a part of their chapter in life. So um, mm-hmm. I appreciate you mentioning that and sharing that. Um, and to, to echo that, I actually have a really good friend who um, named Julie, who's getting her side in sport. Uh, athletic counseling, which is like sports psychology. And her research is actually focused on um, male athletes and eating disorders because it's so Mm -hmm. under-researched. So um, that is something else too that is so, it's like a taboo, right? There are like these underlying taboos with a taboo, right? So we talked earlier about how eating disorders are so taboo and now there are other parts of it that are just like even more tabooed. It's, It's like this never ending onion where you just like peel off layers over and over and over again and then whatever's on the inside I'm not even sure we've tried to we've taken a crack at you know figuring out so yeah it's like it's such a vast issue Mm -hmm. and I think like yeah we're specifically talking about and I wrote about eating disorders as they um affect female athletes and I think that is a different issue because it's um they appear differently and, you know, the, the different biology of women and just, um, I think that it, it causes eating disorders in female athletes to be different than they are for men, but that doesn't mean it's not a worthy subject and that's not equally taboo. Um, yeah, it's such a vast issue. It's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like jumping back to kind of these youth, um, female athletes. And I think one thing that might be helpful. And I don't know if this is true, but I feel as though, like we've said before in the conversation, talking about these issues is really important because it reduces the, the taboo and creates awareness around them. So telling them about like, yes, eating disorders do occur, you know, like this is what this is um, because it, it's just gains awareness. So I, I wonder if how that conversation can be started. And this isn't a question for you, but how that conversation can be started between coaches or parents and their young female athletes and what, um, body positivity or body neutrality, depending on what people's perspectives are with those, mm-hmm. um, and how that can be incorporated into it. So, um, yeah, it's, I think it's funny how closely aligned women's, um, empower, women's sport empowerment is in it. And like, um, woman, body, woman athletes, but body positivity, excuse me. And, you know, all these, um, challenges with eating disorders. It's, it's kind of these fine lines that people cross, you know, like where do I fall mm-hmm. into these quote unquote categories or do I even want to fall into a category with them? So yeah, it's definitely very interesting to, to start these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So we've already mentioned before Lindsay Krauss and Lauren Fleshman and Melody Moore. Um, can you think of any other folks who are doing um, really wonderful things um, in this community of, um, you know, creating action through conversation or through ideas? Yeah, there's a number of um, young women. I think, well, Amelia Boone is someone else who struggled with an eating disorder, and she was also on the Ritual podcast. That's another resource, her story. Um, 
honestly, when I listened to her story, it was one of the most relatable and I think um, powerful. I, I explained eating disorders really well. Um, and I think would also be a great resource for people who want to increase their understanding of this topic. Um, and I actually, uh, Rachel Steele of the nonprofit Running in Silence is someone who was so kind when I wrote the article for Lane 9 Project. She actually reached out to me um, and she wrote about her experience struggling with an eating disorder as a collegiate athlete and beyond. Um, and I've actually now been working with her a little bit on discussing ways that we can um, speak for different groups and kind of share how this issue affects um, such a wide variety or such a wide span of young women um, at coaches clinics um, and at schools and other locations. So I'm really grateful for her for reaching out to me and um, running in silence. Her nonprofit is a really awesome organization that I think also really kind of spans the gap between writing and action, um, which is really great. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I guess one more is we, we talked about the Running on Own podcast, but I know that um, she, Julia, the, the woman who does the podcast, is doing a series now with Abby Cooper, who's a professional mm -hmm. runner, and um, they've talked a lot about eating disorders in a very, I don't want to say comprehensive, because I think it's impossible to be comprehensive yeah. <laughs> with the subject, but just like very real and multifaceted and... Um, powerful way they've done a really good job of speaking about this too so yeah there's so, there's a lot of people doing good work and I think that this topic is really overwhelming to me when I think about how many people have struggled um so it it's great to see so much work being done yeah I completely agree and I think the other thing too is there's always new things to learn about it right so even if you think you know a lot about it or even if you if not you particularly, but, but anybody thinks they know a lot about it. Um, there's always so much more to learn with regards to doing work in with eating disorder empowerment and then also, um, you know, figuring out how to incorporate women's empowerment in that. Um, and oh, actually, maybe I should rephrase what I said, not eating disorder empowerment, not empowering the mm -hmm. eating disorder, but um, eating disorder like awareness empowerment, maybe we could say mm -hmm. that instead. Um, but yeah, I think those folks that you highlighted and, you know, uh, are definitely ones that we can, you know, reach out to and people can probably reach out to. They're all super, super wonderful human beings. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, I think, yeah, I, I also think like it might be really nice for people to kind of create this sense of community, um, if they don't have one yet or don't know who to reach out to. So Anyways, for those listening, I'm, now I'm definitely rambling, but for those who are listening, the folks that um, Emma just mentioned are definitely people to reach out to. You can always reach out to us as well, um, or I'll say SRC. Um, mm -hmm. If you just have any questions, because we also know so many people through our work that um, that makes it sound really popular, but we, we've done like so many. It is. <laughs> we've done so many interviews with wonderful women and, and men who, have, who are really helping to shape this community. So um, we can connect you to people um, if you need that. Um, so yeah, so um, I guess we started off with what's happened kind of in your in your past over the last two um, years. But what's going on in your future, Emma? What do you have looking forward to? You, forward to what's making you thrive? I know you said you're moving back to the East Coast. So tell us yeah. what's coming up next for you. Yeah, it looks well. Nothing certain, but by the time that you release this podcast, I will probably have made a decision, but I'm actually going to get my MFA, my master's of fine arts in nonfiction writing. Um, so I'm going to start that in the fall. Awesome. So I am looking, I'm actually deciding between a couple schools in New York right now. Um, so it looks like I'll probably be moving to uh, New York, which awesome. is um, where I'm originally from. I was born in New York. Okay. Most of my family still lives there. Um so yeah, I'm really, really excited about that. And um, I'm excited to, that's pro that's really main point on my mind right now is making the decision of where I'm going. And just it, um, yeah, I think another thing is we talk so much about women's empowerment, but um, I think I've faced a lot of imposter syndrome with applying to MFA programs because yeah. I will read the bios of people who are into these uh, great programs. And 
read their publications and I would I thought to myself I'm not gonna get anywhere you know I Mm -hmm. um and it's really exciting to feel that maybe I belong in one of these programs and I think that that's something that a lot of women in particular struggle with um yeah so it's exciting to be able to envision myself doing something that it's a it's a big dream of mine to um work on my writing and get an MFA so I'm excited about that um I'm also excited about sport being able to um run and I've been trying a lot of kind of different ways of being active and enjoying activity um I've had quite a lot of injuries um probably quite a lot of bone injuries um after college which is another interesting thing a lot of people who struggled with eating disorders might continue to have bone injuries even after gaining what is medically um, a healthy weight for their body. Sometimes your bones are um, still weak for a while after that. And I can go on and on about that. I'm going off on a tangent, but um, basically I've struggled with a lot of injuries over the past two years. And um, that's caused me to take a step back and kind of reevaluate my relationship with sport, but also try to find other ways to find joy in being active. Um, And I've, and find other activities that aren't running. So I'm excited to get back to running, but also explore new things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to really honor your, your statement of imposter syndrome. I, ooh, I totally feel that um, being in, in academia again. And, you know, do I belong here? It's the field I want to go to. And especially because um, I am headed into intercollegiate athletics. So that's a very male dominated field. So totally feel that. Um, but yeah, I will let you know that you do belong. Um, and I'm not just saying that because if you have a passion for what you're doing, chances are you belong in that field. So I'm really excited to see kind of where you decide to choose. Um, and additionally, um, do you have a, like nonfiction writing just to like book? Wait, is it fiction or nonfiction writing? Nonfiction. Nonfiction. Okay. So do you in like, do you have like a group of people you want to write about or something you want to write about or topics you want to write about or just like everything we've covered in the podcast? (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think, so I've always been really focused on environment, you know, like, um, and I'm really interested in just women in environmental spheres and in sports. Um, and I've written a lot, good amount about women in farming. Um, and so I've explored a lot, like kind of through like memoir and also like more journalism stuff um women in environmental jobs but I think women in sport and kind of the connection between oh there's there's so many things I want to write about but I feel like there's so many connections of women in sport you know and and the environment and mental illness um that I would love to write more about and explore so yeah um we'll see there's so many different projects I want to dive into and things I'm working on so Uh yeah (laughs) That's awesome. And I also, um, well, my first thought really quickly before I enter into a new thought there was this idea of like nature therapy and right. What like moving your body, like how it can help mental illness. So that'd be a really interesting topic to like cover at some point in time. But, um, I also want to honor your statement about moving your body in, in ways that feel good to you. I think that's so tricky to learn after going through um, and recovery and saying like, okay, is running like feeling my eating disorder or was it feeling a passion that I had? So I'm glad that you're coming to a part, a time in your life where you're recognizing what your body, what feels good for your body. Um, because mm-hmm. it's so hard to get to that point in time. So I hope that whatever you're doing, whether it's cartwheels in the park or, um, <laughs> you know, like, um, some yoga, whatever it might be, feels really, really good to you. And I'm glad to hear it. Thank you, Kelsey. Yeah. And I think it's, um, tricky too. Cause like for me and running was something that fueled my eating disorder at a time, but it's also something that really helps me mental health wise. Um, and so I think that's hard. And I think that's something that everyone has to kind of explore on an individual basis. I think I personally have gotten to a point where I'm able to, um, uh, really think critically about whether it's helping or hurting me and find a way to use it in a, a healthy way. And I always will make try to need to make sure that that's what I'm doing um but I think it's really individual too totally yep awesome. yeah. yeah I completely yeah. agree um okay 
Well, I'm, I'm sensing that we may need to get into a part two about other specific topics related to this because I feel like we covered so much. Like this is our broad introduction. And I feel like for our listeners, it'd be cool to dive into some other, you know, deeper topics and along those lines. So maybe we'll do, we'll copy running on Ohm and Julia um, and kind of doing like a partner series here. Who knows? So um, anywho, Emma, any last shout outs, any last things you want to say, any other words of wisdom? Oh man, um, <laughs> put me on the spot there. <laughs> oh, I, I always do that to people too. They're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just thank you so much for I. Um, this is such an important topic to me, and I'm so blessed that I'm able to find people that want to to talk about this as well. And I think creating community around it is really important. And Thank you, Kelsey, and everyone at Strong Runner Chicks um, for giving me the opportunity to talk about this with you. Um, yeah, I think it's just, it, that's what we need to do, I think, is we need to give more voice to it, and it is such a vast issue. So thank you for giving me the platform to join you. Absolutely, and um, we're so excited. I'll speak for Megan and Elena here. Um, we're so excited to see your future and, and the change you implement because we know you're you're headed on a pretty great way there, my friend. So um, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I, tr- I truly, truly mean that. Um, so anyways, um, Strong Runner Chicks, thanks so much for tuning in. I'll make sure to leave Emma's, if Emma's cool with it, your contact info for people. For sure. Okay, awesome. So we'll leave Emma's contact information in the show notes along with all the resources that we mentioned today. Um, if you have any other questions or you want to continue this conversation, reach out to us, reach out to Emma, and we'll continue to do that. Um, so with that being said, thanks for joining us today, and we hope you stay well. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Strong Runner Chicks Radio. Do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes to help spread awareness and foster the SRC community. Additionally, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Strong Run Chicks.